Hello, everybody, and welcome back yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are now tuned into our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. We have covered trauma. We have covered sports. We are now chomping away at basic science, so please hit the subscribe button if you have not already. Tell one friend or a colleague or somebody that you know that's interested in orthopedics and enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Now, what type of collagen do tenocytes produce in response to rupture? Earlier, we talked a little bit about muscle cells and, and, and their rupture and those satellite cells and uh, being replaced by fibrous tissue later on. But what about what about uh, tendons and tenocytes? Yep. So tenocytes, I mean, just like I talked about, with anything that gets injured, always think inflammatory, reparative, and maturing phase uh, happens to bone, it happens to muscle, happens to tendons. Um, so the collagen produced by tenocytes is going to be type 3 at first in the inflammatory phase. And you'll see a greater proportion of type three collagen um, naturally in the Achilles tendon for whatever reason. This is thought to predispose this to rupture as the Achilles tendon uh, tends to rupture uh, actually with either within the substance of the tendon or off the bone more than other tendon bone or musculotendous junction uh, sites. Um, others have argued that because it, of its location it's taking the force of the entire body but whatever just know that type 3 collagen is produced in the inflammatory phase and then they switch over and they're like oh yeah we actually have to make type 1 collagen when we recreate these tendons so type 1 collagen is seen later on in the remodeling or maturing phase of these tendon injuries um and uh when you're in repairing an Achilles tendon and you're, um, you're, you're attending will always say, Hey, identify this structure and make a clean incision over it so that we can repair it over the top. What are, what is that structure? And what are some of the other structures that can cover tendons? Yeah. So that's going to be that peritinon, that layer above the tenon and, you know, kind of just preserving that peritinon and keeping that vascularity can help lead to better healing results. Um, kind of just one of the like, sources of nutrition and blood supply to the tendon. Uh, other things you can know um, as far as just different structures that cover tendons is you have the synovium, for example, with our flexor tendons, which helps allow for that gliding motion. Um, and, you know, you'll, you can see this when you do, uh, when you do like, a1 pulley releases and trigger fingers you'll you'll uh, see that snowville layer and um and you also have venicula which carry blood which carry blood supply to one tendon segment so venicula carries blood supply to one tendon segment i think that was a question at one point too yeah uh, you'll see those in the uh like when you uh, uh yeah you'll see those in the uh in the digits uh those yep. yeah those vincula it'll it, it may be like a 
a picture of a dissected, like a professionally dissected finger or something. And they'll say, Hey, what's this structure or what is the function of this? And you'll just say like, uh, for local tendon nutrition, uh, and, um, and strength is going to be the vincula or whatever. Um, but yeah, so, um, what yeah. else is there? The, what are, um, uh oh these 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 uh what are some of those the the four transitional tissues by which tendons attach to bone this kind of just i guess this general knowledge to know yeah and this has actually come up on an oite before and it's one of those where uh it'll it basically just says um how does a tendon attach to bone question mark and it'll be like a b c d and it'll say um tendon bone fibrocartilage fibrocartilage, tendon, bone, Sharpie fiber. And you just have to, you just have to find the correct sequence of tendon to bone interface. And lucky for you, we have it. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, it goes tendon. Then it transitions as it gets closer to the bone into fibrocartilage. And then it's mineralized fibrocartilage also called Sharpie's fibers. And then it's bone. And if you think about it, it makes sense um, because bone is mineralized, tendon is not. It's going to go from the least mineralized to the most mineralized. So the tendon, then the fibrocartilage, and then mineralized fibrocartilage. So you're getting closer to the bone and then bone. Um, and let's say you do have that... Uh, Achilles tendon patient and he, he follows up a week after for a wound check and he says, Hey doc, uh, when is this repair the weakest? Yeah. So it's going to be weakest around like a week after repair. So seven a day, seven to 10 days after repair is going to be very weak. Um, and it's crazy that the original strength is regained somewhere around 21 days. Like that, that seems pretty quick, but that's, that's kind of wild to think about in the body and, and how it works. Um, but maximum strength is going to see somewhere around six months or so. So you definitely want to be careful with your patients anywhere from a week to seven to a week to 10 days after the repair, you need to let them know, like, you know, the decision may be healing. You may feel great, but you just need to relax. Don't just limit the activity that you do. And the original strength is going to be regained around 21 days. Max strength is going to be around six months. And I know we touched a little bit about this in our in some of our previous episodes, but um, what does the most prevalent glycosa, glycosa glycan of garlic or gag of cartilage? Uh, that will be chondroitin sulfate, and uh, it's one of those just facts you need to know. They may uh, talk about it in relation to. Um, keratin sulfate which is what we'll get into uh, next but um it's just a it's a glycosaminoglycan that's found in cartilage and uh it's one of the targets of those kind of over-the-counter uh supplements you'll find at a, like a gnc or a walgreens uh looking at like joint health is supplementing conjoint sulfate so um does we ha so we have keratin sulfate and we have conjoint sulfate does keratin or chondroitin sulfate increase with age? Yes, one of those does, and that's going to be the, the keratin sulfate. Uh, that increases with age and provides that compressive strength. That chondroitin sulfate decreases uh, with age. And I was trying to think of a good way to remember this, but I think it's just 
rote memorization, you know. Um, we know that the most prevalent glycosamine and glycan is chondroitin sulfate and it decreases with age. And then yeah, I guess by uh, by default, you would think that keratin sulfate increases with age. So yeah, you know, keratin sulfate increases. You know, I mean, I, I guess a, an easy way, just thinking about it right now, an easy way to think about it is um, because of uh, those supplements for chondroitin sulfate rather than keratin sulfate, um, the, the mere fact that you have like the, the 60 plus age group talking to you about, oh, do I need to supplement with chondroitin sulfate? Maybe that's a, a good way to remember uh-huh. that it actually decreases with ages because it's the one that people will talk to you about, about supplementing. So uh, maybe that'll help one. Uh, see if, see if that will uh, help your uh, memorization about which one increases and which one decreases. Yeah, I think that's a good one and uh, a good way to remember it. And what is the role, you know, we always talk about these, you know, these different sulfate and these ions, uh, but what is the role of the negative charge sulfate ions at the end of these large molecules? Yeah, so these molecules that are found within cartilage, they have this negatively charged sulfate to really trap and hold water um, because cartilage uh such a large portion of it is water and uh we want to keep as much water in that cartilage as possible to keep it as plumped up and smooth and healthy as possible so these negatively charged sulfate ions are going to trap and hold water and um and that's what that's what they're they're really there for um but what is a, a defect in the sulfate uh transporter uh, protein, also known as a DTDST uh, cause. Yeah, so that's going to cause diastrophic dysplasia. So this is going to be like these patients that have dwarfism. You're going to see they have these kind of short extremities as well as that hitchhiker's thumb. So just know a defect in that transport protein, um, that sulfate transport protein is going to be diastrophic uh, dysplasia. And again, that's going to be noted by dwarfism, short extremities, they're going to have that hitchhiker stump. And, and just, I guess, to, uh, to touch base and at least make this announcement, we were talking about it a little bit before, before on off air. And a lot of this basic science stuff is like, you know, we'll try to cover as much as we can in this podcast, but a lot of these things you kind of have to read on your own to sit and like, you know, really dive in and, and get the, the full effect or really like learning a lot of the information just because there's so much basic science stuff. So just for everybody listening, we are going to try to go over a lot of this stuff, but again, some of these things you just gonna have to sit down and read on your own. Yeah. They're going to, I mean, how this question is going to come up for diastrophic dysplasia is they'll either, uh, show you a pitch a picture of that uh hitchhiker's thumb uh or they'll they'll talk about uh the dtdst uh defect and that's they'll either uh test you on what's the diagnosis which is diastrophic dysplasia or they'll ask you uh what is the uh transporter protein defect and that's dtdst so so look up what a hitchhiker's thumb looks like. And as soon as you see that picture, it should just be one of those like, bam, three second question. You got it. You know that it's diastrophic dysplasia. Yeah, exactly. 
and, and moving forward, and I guess we were kind of just on these different fluids or molecules. We always talk about um, synovial fluid and tapping joints and everything, but what, what is synovial fluid? So at the core, uh, synovial fluid is really just an ultra filtrate of plasma. And it's, I mean, it has a, a few separate components like hyaluronic acid. Um, it has uh, like a mucin, which is a main molecule for the viscosity. And it's uh, one of those that really what, what you're looking at is the viscosity of the synovial fluid and that it'll the viscosity will decrease as the shear rate increases, which, I mean, we're, we're not going to get into a whole bunch of the non-Newtonian uh, fluid laws and theories, um, <laughs> but uh, like an example of a, like a Newtonian fluid is water where the viscosity does not change with the mixing speed. However, uh, synovial fluid will. So the faster you, uh, move a joint, uh, you're pretty much, you're increasing the shear rate, the synovial fluid viscosity will decrease and allow for that faster motion of the joint as well. And, um, this is kind of getting off topic a little bit, but, uh, with synovial fluid being an ultra filtrate of plasma, um, that means it's constantly being, uh, added to or taken from to, to be in homeostasis with the surrounding uh, blood and plasma. And so uh, for those that do a lot of the kind of gel injections, um, the, the reason why I'm not a huge fan of those is because um, within several hours of doing a gel uh, or a viscous injection into the, to the knee, let's say, um, your, your body's going to, to counteract that. And it's just going to, uh, try and become back in homeostasis with the plasma. And so the effects of that, I think are going to wear off. And I think a lot of it is really placebo effect. Um, but I, I guess that there's others out there that will disagree with that. So, um, if you want to have a, an educated argument against this, then, then by all means, please reach out to me because uh, I'm not convinced, but if you are, I'd, I'd like to hear why. Um, but moving forward, um, we're talking about viscosity. What, I, I guess at the core, what is a viscous fluid? Yeah. So if you just like think about it, it's just a, a thicker fluid. And I, I see an, an example um, that a lot of people use or, or, or I mean, I guess why it's a little bit, thicker or stickers because you have a stronger molecule to molecule interaction and it causes those molecules to stick together so if you think a good example of um, water versus like honey you know like waters um, those molecule molecule interactions are a little bit weaker they didn't they don't stick together as much versus honey if you have ever tried to put honey in a tea or anything you realize when it comes out, it comes out pretty slow. Um, and it kind of has a, a big drop versus the water. And that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier with uh, the viscosity uh, and that kind of Newtonian versus non-Newtonian um, fluids, just like you're saying, like with water, if you mix it, the viscosity doesn't change versus with honey. Um, as you mix it uh, more, the viscosity will decrease, you know? So like when you're, um, and I don't know, I tend to think of it like if you're trying to squeeze honey out, like at first it's pretty hard, but then after a while it starts to go 
pretty pretty smoothly out of the bottle. And we'll talk you a little bit. You get so frustrated, so you're squeezing the bottle <laughs> harder, and it shoots out faster. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably talk more about uh, about kind of the viscosity and different things when we when we do our arthroplasty um, section. But uh, c- continuing on, we, we talked a little bit about synovial fluid. Um, say you go on and you just, you know, you go and uh, and you get a consult from the medicine attending and, and they have a patient with a, you know, a history of uh, IV drug use. They have poor uh, immuno uh, Im- immune worker there, they are immunosuppressed, for example, let's say, and they have really bad knee pain, they can't walk on it, it's red, hot, swollen, tender, anytime you try to passively move their knee, they jump up in pain, and uh, you, uh, you instruct your junior resident to go and aspirate the joint. Uh, what synovial fluid lab findings would be seen in a patient with septic arthritis in a native joint, not uh, a joint with any type of arthroplasty, but just in a native joint? Yeah, so in a native joint, uh, just like you said, there, I mean, we're looking at different lab values compared to a, an arthroplasty. And, and uh, I guess I'll, I'll get off topic again. And the reason why we look at these lab values for a native joint is because we want to save the cartilage. They, they have cartilage there. They have a normal joint there. It hasn't been replaced already. And so we want to save whatever cartilage they have left. So we need to be diligent in getting a fluid sample. We need to be diligent in sending it off to the lab, making sure the lab gets it and making sure the lab knows what values are important to us. And uh, the the first thing we're really looking for is the cell count and uh, a white blood cell count of greater than 50,000 is uh, one of the diagnostic uh, values we look for, for a septic uh, arthritis in a native joint. Um, and then what I, uh, is the percentage of the PMNs or the uh, neutrophils within that. And if those are greater than about 80 to 85%, you know that this is an acute infection. This is something that's, that really needs to, to get worked up and, and dealt with. And uh, you're looking at the appearance of it. Does it come out looking like a nice, clear, straw-like fluid? Well, that's maybe more uh, of a, of a normal joint fluid, but if you're just pulling, uh, just straight pus out of the joint, it's, it's white, it's cloudy, then that's also a good, uh, indication that, that it's septic arthritis. And then the, the last thing, and and the thing that really takes the longest, um, and really shouldn't be the, uh, only thing you, you look for in the septic arthritis is that gram stain and culture, just because the gram stain and culture often come back 24 to 48 hours later. And if you're just sitting on a native septic joint for that long, it, it can really be, be bad for these patients. So, so uh, the first thing is a white blood cell count of greater than 50,000. And then if you have a really thorough lab who's looking at a bunch of stuff and they see a low synovial fluid glucose level, you know that these uh, macrophages and neutrophils and all of that, they're utilizing all of the glucose available in the synovial fluid to fight the bacteria, or the bacteria is using the, uh, the glucose found within the fluid to thrive and survive within the joint. So um, know those values. Uh, I, I mean, I imagine anyone outside of uh 
first year resident after their first day doesn't know those values, but they will yeah. ask about them. And, and those are just, I mean, they're key things to know. I mean, I use them when I'm on call. It's yep. I, I, one of the residents calls me and says, Hey, there's a concern for a septic shoulder. I got a tap and the fluid count is only 15,000 and it's mostly lymphocytes. It's like, well, I mean, if that patient is immunocompromised or this or that, it might not be septic arthritis. So definitely ingrain those values into your mind for sure. Yeah. And uh, I must I must note and put a quick side note here uh, that a lesson for everybody must learn is that sabotage comes from all angles. So uh, like I remember I was uh, on call and I called the lab and spoke to the lab about, you know, we're just trying to see what the cell count was. And they said, all right, the cell count is 1,250. I was like, so you're telling me the white blood cell count is 1,250. They're like, yeah, the white blood cell count is 1,250. And they said it like um, a little bit of question. So I repeated it again. So you're saying it's 1,250, right? They said, yeah. I said, I, I told or a junior resident, I was like, hey, this is what the lab told me. Just do me a favor. Can you just double check that when they actually publish the stuff in the computer in about an hour or so? And so she checked it and sent me a screenshot. And the lab results uh, said the cell count was 125,000. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so just know sabotage will come from all angles. So you must double check and verify everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hopefully the uh, the OITE and ABOS won't sabotage you like that. But that's a, a good real life uh, point when all of this stuff adds honestly actually truly matters because OIT is yeah. the best, but in real life, this is somebody's joint we're talking about. It's very true. So, um, yep. Key things. I think the first two things I always look for white blood cell count greater than 50,000. And if that PMN ratio is greater than 85%, I'm very suspicious, uh, of a septic joint. So, uh, moving on to something a little bit more, common a little bit more tolerated i guess it would be uh osteoarthritis and you're thinking like oh why are they talking about osteoarthritis but it's a, it's good to have a, a good understanding of what osteoarthritis is so that you can treat it appropriately as a as an orthopedic resident as an orthopedic surgeon out of practice and so what is osteoarthritis and what are some of the key radiographic findings we look for yeah, so osteoarthritis, or you know, it's otherwise known as degenerative joint disease, is what this is. is It's pretty much just a progressive loss of the cartilage structure and the function, and it kind of goes back to the innate immune system. Um, it's a pathology of that, and what the innate immune system does is it stimulates these deg degradative enzymes that go and degrade that cartilage. Um, so when you look at the X-rays, things that are uh, that are key or things that you definitely note with osteoarthritis is you have joint space narrowing, you have osteophytes, subchondral cysts. Uh, there also may be some sclerosis as well, but those are some of the key things. You're looking for those osteophytes, you're looking for those cysts, you're looking for the joint space narrowing. And these are important because later on when we talk about um, total knees and different things, we may there may be some radiographic changes that are seen in rheumatoid arthritis that are different versus a Charcot joint, which are different. So all these different uh, all these different pathologies and diseases have um, different types of radiographic findings. And, and so what are, you know, so we know that this is kind of a disorder or something that goes on with the innate immune system is 
kind of stimulating these degradative enzymes. Yeah, so what are some of those uh, tissue changes that are going to be seen in osteoarthritis? The uh, Obviously, the main thing, and just like you said in the kind of definition of arthritis, is that you're going to see cartilage degradation. And mainly, it's going to be a loss of that smooth laminar layer, which is that superficial layer of cartilage where the collagen fibrils are in parallel with the motion of the joint. You have the elongated flat chondrocytes. Uh, that's going to allow... Uh, the that's kind of that first barrier to protection. And so once you lose that, then the rest of it is going to fragment. And that's kind of the next thing is that cartilage fragmentation. And you'll, you'll see it on the MRI. And if you look at the MRI reads from the radiologist, they may call this as like a chondromalacia or a focal cartilage defect or uh, grade one through four, uh, chondromalacia of the like patellofemoral joint where you see these fissures start to form in the cartilage and once that fluid gets in between those fissures it can start to push those uh, that separation in the cartilage further apart from each other uh, then you get obviously that increased permeability uh, increased water content and uh, that decreased modulus of uh, elasticity uh, is the is one of the key kickers and they may test on that too is they'll they'll show you a picture of knee arthritis and they may say um what is uh like what can be found in the cartilage of this and the, they may talk about either the water content or the modulus of elasticity or all of that so good thing to know is uh, all of these changes that can happen in osteoarthritis and um the the big difference that really I try and work with my patients on too is, um, is there's, there's arthritis and then there's aging. And those are two very different things because aging cartilage does not equal osteoarthritis, just like uh, the aging engine in a car does not equal the car is going to break down and fail on the side of the road. So um, what are some of the tissue changes that you see rather with increased age rather than osteoarthritis? Yeah, so these patients are going to have decreased amount of water. So it's going to have decreased water content instead of that increased from kind of that breakdown and, and that uh, increased permeability that you see in osteoarthritis. You're not going to see that with increased age. So with increased age, you have decreased water content. And I tend to just think of it like these are like stiffer, you know, so you're going to have increased decorn, which increases the cross links, which makes things sticker, stiffer. Um, you're going to have an increased modulus of elasticity because it's stiffer. You have an increase in the glycosylation end products as well. So these are all things that kind of lead to that cartilage being, uh, being a little bit stiffer than, um, than the other way. So again, uh, in increased age, you have decreased water content, increased modulus of elasticity, increased decorant, which is increases the cross-linking, and you have an increase in the glycosylation end products. So these are going to be this, the cartilage is going to be stiffer. Um, now we, we talked a little bit earlier, and we were saying you know that osteoarthritis is going to be kind of one of these diseases of the innate innate immune system and, and how it, it releases degradative enzymes um, in osteoarthritis. So what are some of those enzymes that are going to be seen in osteoarthritis? Those are going to be some of the very 
similar enzymes that you're going to see in just regular inflammatory responses. I mean, it says it right in the name osteoarthritis really means an inflammation of the joint there. And so um, IL-1 is going to be elevated as well as the matrix uh, metalloproteinases and specifically 1, 3, and 13. Um, But all of those pro-inflammatory cytokines are um, causing direct damage to the cartilage, and it's also attracting a lot of the uh, inflammatory cells into the area that uh, can also uh, destroy that cartilage a little bit more. You also have uh, a protein um, called uh, ADAMTS, which is, I think it's alpha disintegrin and metalloproteinases with uh, thrombospondin motifs, which is just a mouthful. And I'll probably (laughs) never want to say that ever again. Right. Uh, But so some of the enzymes uh, seen in osteoarthritis, uh, obviously it's an inflammatory condition that has itis at the end of it rather than just normal aging. You'll see uh, the like IL-1, you'll see matrix metalloproteinases. And uh, for those of you who want to know uh, useless information, those are matrix metalloproteinases 1, 3, and 13. Um, you'll also see uh, an elevation in the enzyme uh, ADAMTS. Uh, and also extracellular protease enzymes like agrokinases and, and all of those that are really targeted towards these cartilage structure proteins and, and cartilage structure itself uh, that are going to cause this osteoarthritis. And kind of going back, I mean, uh, I mentioned that the um, uh, modulus of elasticity is decreased in osteoarthritis, and you said that it's increased in normal aging, which an increased modulus of elasticity makes it more stiff, whereas a decreased modulus of elasticity uh, makes the cartilage more spongy. And uh, I challenge those listening, the next time you do a, like a knee replacement, uh, or even a hip replacement, Um, Where I found this the most is actually on the uh, cartilage of the patella. If you feel the cartilage of the patella during the next knee replacement you do, um, it will feel very soft and it'll feel very spongy. And that's the decreased modulus of elasticity that we're talking about compared to uh, other portions of the cartilage, which is actually fairly stiff when you just touch normal cartilage uh, like with your finger. Um, so it's just one of the things that can help kind of drive home a point that it's the osteoarthritis has a decreased modulus of elasticity. But um, uh, moving on, we've we've kind of covered normal aging. We've covered some osteoarthritis. We all know that uh, arthroplasty is the definitive treatment for these things. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. We hope you all enjoyed it. We are going through this basic science, so I hope you all are uh, listening and learning as much as we are from talking this stuff out. Again, if this is your first time listening to this, please hit the subscribe button so you get the updates. And you know when we drop things because we drop things from all, uh, all different angles. We may have some new things coming soon, so definitely hit that subscribe button and please go leave a review. Until next time.